If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievements. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive with the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Hardwood Hustle Broadcasting here from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, alongside TJ Rosine. Coaches, today we're going to start a four-part series that you're not going to want to miss, and it is the four traps of coaches. And those four traps, I'll go over them briefly uh, here in the beginning, but we're going to dig into the first one in today's episode. But it's pretty powerful, TJ. Controlling coaches create compliant players. The second trap, critical coaches create insecure players. The third trap, avoiding coaches create disengaged players. And the last trap is rescuing coaches equals helpless players. We're going to dig into each of those over the next four episodes, so you're going to want to make sure you check them all out because these are powerful things and powerful things as coaches you need to be aware of. But let's start right at the beginning, TJ, today. Controlling leaders, controlling coaches create compliant players. Let me say that again. Controlling coaches create compliant players. Yeah, that really interesting. So I think probably when I look at these, I think most coaches probably do. You probably, if you were to say that one's sort of me, you know, I think you probably fall into one of these traps um, just based on your personality a little bit, and then also you may just fall into these traps throughout the course of a season and uh, or career or whatever. But I think the uh, first one, and I, I, when I read these, I instantly thought that might be me a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk about that one when we get to that one. But um, the one that that uh, was really interesting to me is that. Um, the other three, insecure, disengaged, and helpless. Then this one said, you know, a controlling coach creates compliant players. So let's talk about that for a second because that one has the least negative connotation on, to on me. On the surface, compliant seems, yes, I want my players to comply. Right. I want them to respond to what I'm saying and agree and buy in and comply. And I think what concerns me for this, when you create a compliant player, there's, there's a certain part of freedom and, and freedom mentally sometimes, and then freedom as a player on the court, that sometimes you want players to play free, right? When you're such a controlling coach and they're so compliant, it's almost like you've taken their thinking away from them, mm-hmm. and now they're just so, their mind is just trying to appease you, right? And yeah. just comply to everything you want them to do and how you want them to see, instead of sometimes giving the freedom and the onus on the player and saying, go out and make plays. Yeah. Right, but they're so caught up in you because you're such a controlling coach that they don't really think for themselves at any point. Yeah. They're just simply responding to your orders. And I don't think that's the right way to, to go at it. Yeah, well, I think, you know, specifically in basketball, so when, when we could actually break down every sport and talk about how, um, how true that is. Like, I mean, I got kind of a feeling that Nick Saban's a little bit of a controlling coach, right? I think he also has. 
you know, gives his players leash when he needs to give them leash. And, you know, you, you saw on the national championship when they brought in that quarterback, they cut him loose, you know. I mean, he had some freedom to go play. But the hard thing about specifically basketball and being a controlling coach is that you don't have complete control of the game. You know, so like if you were to take something like football, um, not that you have complete control of the game, but you have a lot more control of the game. You have 40 seconds between each play to make a decision. You have, uh, you know, four quarters to make a decision. You have a long halftime to make a decision. You can script plays. There's a whole bunch of things you can do. But at the end of the day, a lot of times basketball comes down to actually giving over responsibility to those players. You know, you know, at some point they say, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's beat X's and O's, right? You've heard that before. Um, but I would go a step further you know jimmy's and joe's that do the right thing beat them you know i've seen jimmy's and joe's that had a lot of talent that didn't beat people but you have to at some point trust jimmy's and joe's you at some point have to give players some um i don't know if even freedom is the right word but you have to give them some level of trust to be able to go out and do this because you cannot stop every play so you need to build players that are mission oriented you know they're focusing on the mission but at the same time they're going to have to be able to make some decisions and sometimes if you over control they they might not make the decisions you hoped and i understand why this is considered a trap right because coaches fall into it and i think we have to be conscious of it as a coach not to go down that path and let's be honest coaches often think it's better you know they can do it better right they can coach it better they can communicate it better they can organize it better so they tend to kind of control all facets of the practice all facets of the game as much as they can but i've seen this many times tj you know the coach's controlling behavior muzzles the players mm-hmm. i've seen you know during a timeout break or, or post game no one's really talking to each other right the players aren't speaking up because the coach is just such a dominant personality so dominant with their voice and their authority and and governing all aspects of the program that the players just they're just waiting for the call they're just waiting for what coach is going to say it's almost like they've crippled you've completely cut out the legs from underneath the players for them to be free and to think and to act and to hold each other accountable because you all are just looking to the coach waiting for his or her direction. Yeah. So I'm trying to break it down to like, okay, if we were to really put this in the sense of, uh, you know, like, you know, coaches, give me an example. Like, where does where have you seen this play out? So to me, it, I thought of it in two particular places of controlling coaches. One, I remember we were in a league um, where there was a coach who was extremely controlling. And... Um, now, they had good teams. I mean, good players. They played hard. They, there was a whole bunch of things that were really good about them. So I try to think about what was negative about them. And to be really honest with you, for my first couple of years in the league, we had trouble with them. I mean, they had won a national championship. Like, they were really a, a, a good basketball team. And then we kind of figured them out because they were so because of the control and to me that was the weakness was the control the Hmm. level of control that he had over his guys and after we figured him out you know i think we ended up winning like nine of the next 10 or you know we went on a pretty good roll against them and here's how i you know sensed that they were controlled one of the things that i thought was really uh obvious to see was gosh when they made a mistake like they it was like they beelined for the bench. <laughs> like they didn't even, you know what I mean? Like they knew what was coming. They knew what was coming. Like they were, they were just, and you could see that level of, um, 
knowing that they had to do the right thing. They didn't off offensive glass. They did this. And so what we really did a lot of is we, we I mean, we, we ran a, almost for like three or four straight years, ran a one three one trap against them. And I know it sounds tactical or whatever, but they, they thought they thought so much because they were so afraid to make a mistake. And it would just get in their head. They'd be afraid to make a mistake. And he, he, he didn't feel like he had control over what he was going on. They had to make some decisions versus a trap because you don't know where the traps were coming from. And they didn't want to make a mistake. And he didn't, you know, want to look bad as a coach. And, and like, literally for, like, four years, I think we put in the one three one for about ten minutes a game. And it was the difference <laughs> in the game. Right. Because there was so much control. And I know that sounds like a crazy – like I'm stretching for something, but I really don't think that this is a stretch. I really believe this. And the second place is I played for a coach who was extremely controlling. And here's where it, well, here's how it played out for me. It played out boring for me. It just, I didn't, mm. I didn't like it, it, everything was so structured. So whatever, like every day we went to practice, we did the same thing. And I'm the complete opposite of that as a coach. Like as far as like doing the same thing, because I was so, disengaged when I was doing the same thing every day and so it was so controlling to do this even our offensive structure was controlling you know these you were shooting this shot you were doing this whatever and I felt no freedom and then sometimes you'd work on your game and it wouldn't even matter that you got great at that shot because I wasn't part of the offense right. so you didn't want to go so what I found myself was I wouldn't say losing love for the game but I, what I found myself doing was just becoming less and less interested with what was going to go on every day and, and really improving because I knew I wasn't going to be able to use it at all. TJ I don't want compliant players as much as I want creative players I want my players to be able to create. I want them to be able to add to the program yeah. and, and think about the program and find ways to add value to the program, not just simply rely on me and, and follow every one of my orders, right? Like, I want this to be a collaborative effort. And when it's controlling, it's not collaborative, yeah. right? I think that's important yeah. to note, right? Controlling is not collaborative. And when, when you get into that mindset of you trying to just control all aspects, I always look at two areas. One, Halftime and post game. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I sit in a lot of different coaches and I'm in a unique perspective, TJ. Uh, you, you sit in your own halftimes and timeouts and all that. I'm with a bunch of different teams, so I see a lot of different personalities from different coaches. And, and I see it pretty drastically in timeouts, halftime, and post game. And I'm thinking about one coach in particular. It's so incredible. He's the opposite of controlling. He goes in and he's more asking his players, "What do we want to run coming out of the coming out of the second half? Yeah, like, yeah. what are you guys feeling? What are you guys thinking? What do you all you know? Do you all want to run this? Do you want to run this? What, what? Give me some thoughts." And he's like welcoming it, right? And the players are chiming in and they're talking and and they're giving input. And now all of a sudden they're taking ownership. And he's there and he's hearing it all. And obviously he is the final say, but. He, He's being influenced heavily by the players, yeah. and he's listening to them. And I'd say 80% of the time, he goes with their suggestions, right? And he gives them that ownership. And then you better believe when the players go out there, they're not just complying. They're taking responsibility, and they're creating. They're making it happen because they're the one that threw it out there as a suggestion. I love that, right? Yeah. You flip that on the opposite. If you're a controlling coach, you're, you're dictating. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. 
I, I know best, even though I'm not the one out there, okay? Uh, this yeah. is what I think we're going to do, and it's all a one-way conversation. Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you, and I've got a thought. I mean, we need, let's, let's get You're our You're going to challenge it? Well, I, I am going to challenge it I a can little tell. bit. But, uh, you know, let's, let's take the halftime, get our communication tip from uh, Team Snap, and, um, and then when you come back, I'm going to challenge it a little bit. Thanks to our friends over at Team Snap for today's communication halftime talk. This week, coaches, be intentional to work on and improve your side conversations. If you think about coaching, so many side conversations happen with our players that can really impact them. In fact, most of the impacting conversations tends to be in those intimate side conversations. You know, those ones where you pull the player off to the side and and you speak one-on-one and you share some intimate thoughts and you're really open and honest with that player. Those side conversations can change the game. Spend time rehearsing. Spend time thinking through how you want to handle those side conversations. Be very intentional with them and recognize the power that side conversations can have with your players. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app serving over 15 million people across the globe, helping get everyone organized from parents, players, and coaches all season long. All right, so Adam, here's what I got. Here, here's a little bit of that challenge. So I love giving players responsibility, okay? But there's there's a flip side of that too. And I, and my my heart aligns with what you're saying. Like I want to be that type of coach. All right, so I win the conversation. Um, you, 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 <laughs> I mean, your heart you're aligns right with now. It. My heart aligns with <laughs> it. But I don't know reality is always in that place. You know, like I, what I find – Gosh, I don't want to, you know, I don't say year over year, but one of the things that I have found, and I'm in that place even with my team this year, where I had to put my foot down on the gas. Like, you... You you can't handle freedom, you know. <laughs> you you didn't you didn't you weren't doing well with this level of freedom, and I think the more and more I'm and I got good kids, you know what I mean, and and I got guys that are trying to do the right thing, but even with that, they were not they were not doing what they needed to do, and so I had to go back and step up the level of discipline that was being uh, delivered in our program with little things, and 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 I hated it, but I said to them, I went to the locker room, I said this, I said, listen, here's what's about to happen um you know and i gave them four or five things about how they were going to dress on the road how they were going to show up and i said and, and this is not a punishment to put you in a box but you are not showing up well with the freedom that i'm giving you so i'm going to take it back and i'm going to put in these things and you think about i mean look at uh i mean duke how many times in the last five years has he, he banned his team from the locker room we've had that conversation right they couldn't wear the gear they weren't doing and these are duke guys these are guys that are are not only high talent but they're high mindset right and they're still having that problem so imagine what you know all of our coaches listening are dealing with like in a utopian world isn't it great for your players to tell you what they want at halftime but there's also a reality to that you know there's also another side to that where um i, I don't think you can i don't think that that most teams i've ever been around are mature enough to handle that now as we grow my ideal would be at the end of the season 
as we get down the road, we've reestablished that commitment. And I can ask them those types of questions. Guys, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? What are you doing? You know, but there are it's I don't think it's as easy as, as doing that with any team you walk into. I think there's a lot of things that have to be built to be able to ask those questions and respect the answers that come back to you. Perfect. You nailed it right there at the end. You've got to build to that, TJ. I'm not ignoring that, you know, and, you know, that's why I give this coach a little leeway and say 80 percent of the time, you know, there's 20 percent of the time he puts his foot down. But what you were speaking to is the art of coaching, right? Finding that time where you give and then finding when you pull it back, right? And, and trying to push those buttons throughout the course of the season to get the players going. But I will tell you this, TJ, you will never have that type of culture where you can trust your players if you've been controlling them all year long. Yeah. Okay. Because at the end of the day, if you've never entrusted me as a player to give input, to play a part of it, and then you hit me with it uh, four months into the season, I'm not going to be equipped. Yep. Okay, it'll be the first time you're, I, I've been in this position. So I, I agree. It, it's, a, it's the art of coaching. Sometimes you pull it, sometimes you give it, but you've got to start creating that, and you just need to be aware. Controlling coaches creates compliant players, and it may not create the freedom and, and the creativity you want to see in your players. Here's two quick checklists for a coach, all right? To see if you are creating compliant players based on your controlling tendencies, do your players create, do they initiate? Mm -hmm. Do they create and do they initiate? Are your players coming to you with ideas? Are they coming with, with suggestions? Are they giving input? Are they expressing themselves in film sessions? Are they doing these things as part of the program or are they sitting back a little bit more quiet waiting for you to, to kind of bark your next coaching order yeah. and ironically and here's the irony of this whole situation controlling coaches tend to get frustrated that they don't have more initiation from players yeah they do I, they sit back there and my, my players just don't give me enough yeah. they're not giving it to me and I, it's like hold how on. i was with that type of coach like i had no desire to create or initiate because i knew i knew what the deal was and, and, and you probably know that late night as he's talking with his spouse or you know inner circle he's like yeah i mean my players just don't give me anything yeah. You know, they're just not sharing. They're, you know, like, I, I need more. There's no vocal leadership. Y well, maybe there's no vocal leadership because your voice is so loud and so uh, front and center yeah. that even the boldest player would sit back and start forming and kind of moving into a, a state of meekness. Just become conform, conform to whatever yeah. is going on. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. So I, I think that... You know, at the end of the day, like there is some level of control, and maybe every year it's a little bit different. Maybe it's 50 50, maybe it's 60 40, maybe it's 37. And that goes back to the art of coaching. But I don't think you want to be 100% controlling or even in that high 80, 90% controlling. If you, what it does, I think it lowers the roof of your team. You're not going to be able to max out. You might be a good team, but you're not going to be as good as you could be. Yeah. So, one of the four traps of coaching, becoming a controlling coach and creating compliant players. Be sensitive to this. You're going to want to make sure you check out the other three episodes as we go into the other three traps for coaching. Uh, but I am TJ. He, I am Adam. He is TJ. Together we are the Harwood Hustle. Till next time, we're out.